Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, Hold My Iced Coffee, dedicated to those holy aha moments where we step into the excellence that God has created us for, and we learn to value our journeys. I'm Elena Sadi. Hi, I'm Cindy Falco. We are so excited that you joined us today, and I get the amazing privilege of talking to my podcast co-host, Cindy Falco, about her journey today and how she holds her iced coffee, how she holds other people's iced coffee. So welcome, Cindy. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you. Uh, Can we start out by asking you about your book, Rum and Cola for the Survivor's Soul, an amazing book. It's available on Amazon. And how did that process come about? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, one thing I want to just insert here before I start talking about my book is I also think this podcast is about why Elena's my co-host, because you see how encouraging she is. I'm like, wow, (laughs) yeah, this is why I need this lady in my life. But anyway, so um, yeah, about my book, it's, it's a very kind of a long story. It's sort of my life story. And the name... Rum and Cola for the Survivor Soul. It started with my blog, which was Rum and Cola for the Soul. And my blog was, it kind of came from my struggles with probably my midlife crisis or whatever. <laughs> like my kids were all in high school growing up. I went through a lot of struggles during that time where I realized the second half or whatever, that part of my life was not going to be anything like I thought it was. And it was very, very hard because I was teaching. I had foster kids and I had always envisioned that my life after my kids were grown was going to be dedicated to adopting and raising foster kids. And then Just all of that kind of, I don't want to talk too much about the problems there, but it didn't work out like I thought it was going to. And we ended up having to walk away from being foster parents. And it was, it was like the hardest thing I ever went through in my life. And then (laughs) in the middle of that, somebody came to me and tried to say something like super comforting along the lines of they told me a story from chicken soup for the soul and basically said something to me like, Oh, just have faith and everything will work out. And I was so pissed off (laughs) when they said that to me. And I went in and I kind of had a meltdown in the teacher's lounge at the school where I was working. And I and everybody was around was like, Oh, my gosh, we hate that story, too. We're so sick of hearing that quit telling teachers that you can be a mom to everybody because you can't. (laughs) You've got 200 students, you can't do it. So we were like whining about it. And I just I, I I don't think I swore before that time. And that was like the, my breaking point <laughs> that day. But anyway, I said, you know what? And I, a lot of swears for me. And then I said, I'm just going to to write my own thing. And it's going to be rum and color for the soul. Because at the end of the day, that's what all the teachers need. Because we want to calm down. But we still have need some caffeine. Because we got to keep going for another five hours <laughs> to grade all those papers or whatever. And we were talking about rum and cola for the soul. And I was like, that's what teachers need. And it kind of just developed it into me sharing a lot of things about when life is really hard, but you still have faith. 
And it really hurts when you're struggling and somebody's like, oh, well, you just need to have faith. And I'm like, yeah, I do have faith. And this still sucks and it's hard. (laughs) And I think all of that was where I developed the name Roman Cola for the soul. And then from there, I ended up working with going into a ministry where I worked in strip clubs. Um, not, I didn't work in strip clubs. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I went and I, <laughs> I mean, you know, I could, but <laughs> anyway, I, I ended up volunteering with a ministry that, um, just goes in and tries to to minister to women that work in strip clubs. And I hate to use that term because it sounds like I think I'm better than them. And I really don't. I have so much respect for the women that I met in these clubs, but I wanted to support them and to encourage them to see themselves as so much more than they're not always the most respected people in the world. So anyway, I was working in this ministry and and trying to process all the things that had happened to me. So then I started writing this book, Rum and Cola for the Survivor Soul. And it was where I looked at the book of Luke, and then I compared it to stories of people that I had worked with over the last 20 years of survivors. I worked with migrant workers, at-risk youth, and a lot of women caught up in things like... um, working in strip clubs and being prostitutes and things like that. And, and I tried to just reflect on those stories and think about how Jesus would see them Mm. as I was processing all the things I had been through. So (laughs) a really short, like there's my life story, (laughs) just a little five minute clip, (laughs) but that's how I got to it. Um, And I'm also in the middle of revising that book and I always question myself, like, why am I revising it? But um, part of it is because I don't even agree with myself all the time. <laughs> As I've grown, I kind of reflected on some things. I think the first book is good. <laughs> There's just some ways I'm tr- I've grown since I wrote that. And I'm going to do a second version that I'm putting out. I'm still working on the name a little bit. A lot of people told me that when they saw the title Rum and Color for the Survivor Soul, that they thought it just only applied to people who had gone through huge traumas and things like that. And then they're like, oh, I read it and everything in there was encouraging to me, which, of course, because I'm such a great writer. <laughs> no. But I, I so I started thinking about it. And from the input I got from other people, I decided to go with a title Rum and Cola for the Soul, because that's definitely <laughs> that's definitely my title of my struggle that I brought to this story. My tagline is a bitter Christian's reflections on abuse, shame, struggles, doubts, and the gospel of Luke. And that's pretty much what my book is. <laughs> it's me reflecting on a lot of stories of different people and their struggles and how God sees those things. So there's your really long answer. <laughs> well, that's amazing. And what's also amazing is your writing. And I got the privilege to edit your book. And I'm so excited to see this other version, uh, which I love the name. It's incredible. And it cap- encapsulates so much of what you do. I was wondering if you can share why do you call them survivors and not victims? 
because we all are in some way. Let's be honest. We're not saying us and them. We are all survivors. And you use that term instead of victim. Can you tell us why you do that? I I love the term survivor because I think it gives value to the person that has overcome so many things. I think when you use the word victim, it gives power to the to the abuser or the circumstance or whatever they were going through. And and that's something that happened to them, but I don't think they should be defined by that bad thing. And I, I feel like when I use the term survivor, it's very empowering and honoring to, to all that they've been through and that they're overcomers. And I just think it's a way of honoring so many people being strong instead of defined by the bad thing that they had to overcome. I would like to go around and call everybody warriors, but people think that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like a book about badass warriors. Um, people are like, well, really, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So survivors. <laughs> I love it. What inspired you to start a podcast? Because this has been in development for a long time, pretty much since I've known you. And I've always known that you would do this. And on that note, what would be your holy aha moment or your hold my iced coffee moment, uh, either recently or one that you can remember? Well, my story of what led me to podcast is, um, it's not really a super holy, like spiritual experience. (laughs) It's more that I was spending tons and tons of hours blogging and just pouring my heart out into it. And I, I had people that I was counseling or working with in different areas of my life. And I would write this blog where I had prayed for them, read all the scripture, just wrote this thing. And then I would call and say, what'd you think of it? And they're like, uh, it was like three pages. (laughs) Could you read it to me or something? And they would, even my daughter-in-law and like a girl that is a young woman that we're very close to, both of them would say, tell me they were so busy that they would just prefer hearing me talk about it than reading it. (laughs) And I was like, nobody wants to read these days (laughs) or something. I don't know. They just all said that, if I would podcast that they would be able to listen to it while they were doing other things and that they would really love that. So it's not like a <laughs> super like God just spoke to me in a cloud said, Sundu, you should podcast. <laughs> it was more people were like, they'd rather hear me talk. <laughs> I think that fosters a personal connection because hearing you, you're so personable to listen to and you draw in people and encourage them. And what could be more delightful than to hear you saying these truths to someone else? I mean, I'm excited to listen to you right now. So I think we're onto something. (laughs) I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. Again, that's why I love her. (laughs) You're so encouraging. I do have a melodic voice, don't I? (laughs) You do. And so I've had to get comfortable with that, that realizing sometimes when I speak, people are going to be like cringing, like, (laughs) but anyway, you had another question and I never answered it. So, um. oh, yes, absolutely. 
what would be a holy aha moment that stands out to you? Either one that you are experiencing recently or one that stands out to you in the past. Uh, maybe a moment that you were going to go for something empowered by God and um, you weren't going to let anything stop you. Or maybe it was even a mindset. Um, I'm curious about that. Honestly, the whole process of walking away from being an English teacher and walking away from foster care and adopting kids was, it was tragic for me. And then at the same time, you know, my kids ended up moving away and um, then we moved to Connecticut in the middle of that. And it was like, there were times I just sat and like just cried because everything that had defined my life for over 20 years had just, I lost it in a couple of years. And it was, it was really, really hard to reset. But at the end of it all, I just saw God valuing me and what I really deeply wanted to do. And it had been so buried by other people's expectations of me that I didn't even know how to say, what does Cindy enjoy doing? Mm. You know, and, and things like, what did I really want to do with my life? All of that stuff, as hard as it was to go through, I feel like God was also freeing me to be who I really wanted to be. And before all of the pressures from society and and trying to fit in molds of what people thought would being a great Christian would look like, I used to sit in my closet as a kid and I had made a a secret desk so I could go sit in my closet and write. (laughs) And I did. I had turned a chest of drawers. I took a drawer out and turned it upside down and, and made it a secret desk. Nobody even knew I was going in there and I would spend hours in my closet writing. So all of that, my holy aha moment is just realizing that God was freeing me to be who I wanted to be and that that was okay, that the passions he put in me and the desires were not wrong, that he wanted to use me for what I wanted to do. And it was crazy because I always thought I had to make everybody else happy, including God. And that was when I started to realize God wants to make me happy. Not like I have like everything's about me and, and selfishly, but as in enjoying who he created me to be. Because it's not about me being happy all the time, but but enjoying who he created me to be. Yeah, absolutely. And in turn, that has encouraged many, many people, including myself. So that holy aha moment has a ripple effect that's affecting each listener right now. So that's really exciting. That Thank you for leading us through that. Um, you say you've worked with survivors and you have for many years. What have you learned about their journeys that has impacted you? Are there any stories that you are able to or feel comfortable to share about that? I, it, there's so many stories. And that's one of the things I said in my book that I wrote was I think each one of these people just shaped my life um, so incredibly. 
And I feel like it is the biggest honor in the world that I get to know their stories. My dad used to tell me the story of the little match girl. He was a great storyteller and he would share um, about the little girl gathering wood and, and she was, her grandmother was sick. And then she realized when she saw a shooting star, she knew in her heart that her grandmother had died and that she was left all alone. And so then it's Christmas Eve and she's still trying to sell matches and, and bundles of firewood to people and everybody's ignoring her as they go to their Christmas parties and stuff. And so she goes in and she looks at in the window at a, a big Christmas Eve party and all these people and their fancy gowns and, and just enjoying this big party. And the little girl stands out there and she keeps striking matches to try to stay warm And then she's so mesmerized with the party that she ends up freezing to death looking in the window. And and my dad told the story, and it was very hopeful about how um, she was welcomed into heaven and saw her grandmother and all that. I remember thinking it was a beautiful story, but I also remember laying there one night praying about it and thinking, how horrible would it be to be one of the people in that party? And come out and realize this little girl had frozen to death looking in the window at your party. And it really, really made this impact on me in a crazy way that became a theme in my life of I never wanted to be that person. And I would pray like, God, help me to always see the people on the outside looking in. And What's crazy is I feel like God honored that through my life. And even when I was messed up, I never, ever felt like I was, well, (laughs) when I was messed up, I obviously didn't feel like I was better than other people, but I always felt a compassion for other people that were um, also struggling. God used that story to bring beauty two things that he knew I was going to experience. And as I look back over my life, um, I see, you know, God didn't cause the bad things that happened to me, but he gave me these incredible insights into people's lives that are so much harder than mine. And I would never, ever want to be the person that doesn't see them. And I see when people heard about my struggles, the cruel things that they said to me, I don't want to be that person in somebody else's life. I don't want to misrepresent God so horribly that I look at somebody who's a survivor and only see them as a victim that's been um, dismissed by God in some way. They're not. They're survivors that he loves and he wants them to come home. So, so that I think answers a question <laughs> about um, what I've learned from survivors is just how much we don't see them. And it has just really hit me that like, we're shaming the wrong people. Abusers thrive. They go into churches and everybody loves them. But the people that we can see their mess, that's who we shame. And those are the people they're honest. They're just more honest and open about this is where their mess is, you know, and they've had a hard life a lot of times. So I think 
Um, that was my long way of saying we just misjudge people and shame the wrong people. I'm really fascinated by what you said that abusers seldom get shamed and we judge people incorrectly. And you've told me before there's a tremendous value in helping others see their value. Um, with Brene Brown and other people like that um, speaking out today, uh, what what do you have to say about shame and how this plays a role in the survivors that you've interacted with and helped over the years? Well, yeah, Brene Brown really gave me words for um, explaining what I already felt and like a better way to explain it. I think Jesus taught a long time ago in the story of the prodigal son. He showed us in that story the two sides of shame because both sons in that story were wrong in their attitude towards God. The son that left and insulted the father and just did, he did all kinds of bad things that people can easily recognize as like, oh, that's, that's terrible. And he spent all his money and ended up eating with pigs and all this. Um, He defined himself by the bad things that he was doing and didn't think that he was worth the father's love. The second the father saw him on the journey home, the father ran to him. And it's such a beautiful picture of how God feels about people who are caught up in sin and, and struggles that he doesn't see them as their problems. He sees his child. And that's what I say about the negatives of shame. Like people always want to go into strip clubs and tell the women like, oh, you're, you know, you need to stop stripping. And I'm like, nobody's in there because they're like, they were a lawyer and said, oh, I just think it would be more fun to strip. Like they, they're in there because of a lot of different reasons, but most of them didn't have other choices. And so if you go in there and you talk about how bad they are, how bad stripping is, then you're just telling them that they're bad. And that's not how God sees them. He sees his child that he loves and he wants better for. And I I think that's just a huge difference in how we approach people, because when people know their value, then they want better for themselves. But if they define themselves by what they do, then they just think they're bad and this is this is how it goes. And the same is true when, in the reverse when people are really good at religion and they've got our, all their morals down and the world's applauding them. They also define themselves by what they do. And that's also very shaky ground. And that's why a lot of times people that are abusers don't get help because they can't admit that they have a struggle. They're not in a safe environment because in that case, a lot of times they're defining themselves by the way, by how good they are at religion and how the world sees them. I think that deep down, they also struggle with with shame and they know what they do behind closed doors and all that, but they're driven by shame. Everybody, if you're defining your value by what you do, then it's always shaky ground. That's such a shallow way to define your value, but that's what society teaches us. So it's very, very complicated. And I want to talk about that a lot. 
But the gist of it, I would say, is defining yourself by what you do, whether it's good or bad, that it's it's all shame because your value is in who you were created to be. Mm. <laughs> so I hope I answered your question. Yeah, you absolutely did. And a lot of other questions. Yes, you did. I, you know, uh, you, <laughs> you're remarkable. And um, there's just so much to think about in what you said. There's so much to unpack. But I love the freedom that, especially in our friendship, you've given me to say that it's okay to feel how you feel right now and not have shame associated with it. Um, not, not, you've helped me to sort of take a step back and ask myself, am I really defining myself by what I'm doing for good or for bad? So I appreciate the way that you've modeled that. Um, can we talk about your life coaching? I am super excited about the fact that you are doing this. Um, <laughs> I am so proud of you and it is not an easy step. It's such a brave hold your ice coffee moment step. How did God lead you to develop the vision for your life coaching? This summer, I was just a lot of changes were happening with my family. We had a graduation, a grandchild be born, and another one of my sons got married. And it was kind of just a crazy summer. And I once again was feeling that where's my place in all this? Cause things are changing so quickly. And for some reason, I just found this hike for hope, which is a fundraiser for Amira homes, which are um, homes for women that have been sex trafficked. It's recovery homes for them. And I just was like, that's such a beautiful picture of, of the journey that they are on for recovery and I just really just everything in me felt like I needed to hike Mount Washington. And Mount Washington is the highest mountain in New England. That comes with a lot of struggles, too, with climbing it because there's rock scrambles and temperature change and a lot of elevation gain and stuff like that. So I knew that it would be a big, a big step for me to get in good enough shape to climb this mountain. And I but I just wanted to do it. And then I, so I told a bunch of people and I was like, I'm going to do this. And then like two days later, I was like, why am I doing this? That makes no sense. I'm never going to be able to do it. And I just started having all of these doubts. And I remember sitting down thinking, that's never going to inspire anybody. The women that you work with are just going to think you're some kind of diva. And like, who cares that you hiked a mountain? you know, that doesn't inspire me because you know, you're, you're a mom, you're a wife that's supported by your husband. And, you know, you've got this easy, cushy life. So how am I supposed to be inspired? Woo, you hired, you hiked a mountain. And I, I questioned myself a lot about all of that. And I was just like, you know, feeling really silly and stupid for it. And then I sat down and prayed. And when I sat and prayed about it, I remember just strongly hearing God remind me that my journey mattered and that it wasn't about women looking at to me for inspiration as much as it was me learning what voice to listen to. And I would say, like, yeah, my life is easier than a lot of people's, but I still have my struggles. And in those, in those struggles, I know what voice to listen to. And that's the voice that's telling me my journey matters. 
And so, yeah, I might not be able to relate to what you're going through, but what I do know is the voice that you should listen to. And that's where I came up with Our Journeys Matter being my life coaching name. And first I had said, Your Journeys Matter. But then it was like me telling everybody else that their journey mattered. And I wanted to to focus on my journey and your journey matter. They all matter. And that's why I said that our journeys matter. And the more I think about it and the more I grow and how I'm life coaching, the more I see how beautiful that idea of healthy interdependence is. That when I value your journey and my journey, it's even more empowering. And what would you say your core values are as a life coach? My two core values are individuality and compassion. Individuality is looking at other people and recognizing their differences and still knowing their value. And compassion For me, what I mean when I say compassion is recognizing the value and helping people, other people in their journey. Anything that we do in life that helps somebody else recognize their value is worth doing. For me, that's been so powerful because sometimes I work with people who have really, really huge obstacles to overcome, or they've experienced extreme trauma or something like that. If you if you look at them like you're trying to fix their lives, it's just overwhelming. But the truth is their lives are beautiful. We just need to help them see how much value they have and work to be their very best. So it's much more empowering and freeing to, to not have to look at the world like you've got to fix them but to recognize the gifts in everybody and then the value in helping them recognize that. And so I just think it's an exciting way to live and I'm super excited about the second half of my life. Definitely. We hope you enjoy this interview with Cindy. I'll be talking with her a lot more and we'll be sharing that in the next episode. 